the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Thank you, Dave. Continuing chronologically through the Bible, we're in Proverbs chapter 21. Last week, we stopped in the middle of verse 12. I didn't realize I did that until after the service. So we're going to just by way of reminder, look at the beginning of verse 12. The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked. Wicked, we define as not seeking Jesus. The righteous man considers that person's situation. The reason he does is to make sure that he doesn't un unintentionally become like him. It is so easy for Christians to become like non-Christians because we are so impatient as human beings. Impatience will cause us to do things that we would not do if we could see Jesus standing there. The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. Very important statement. God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. God does it. You see that? The scorner is punished by who? By God. It is not my responsibility. There are churches that have destroyed themselves because they would not wait for God to punish the wicked. Just absolutely destroyed themselves. There are people who will not go to church because of something that happened because someone was too impatient for God to overthrow the wicked. We don't get to overthrow the wicked. The only reason we want to overthrow the wicked is because we're impatient. One of the best examples of this is David and King Saul, which Ray read a minute ago. David had Saul so close he could touch him, and Saul did not know he was there. The guy that was with David said, here's your chance. Take it. David knew that God had rejected Saul. David knew he was to be the next king. And his companion just said, God has laid your opportunity right in front of him. David cut off the corner of the robe. Interesting, after that, it says his heart smote him. He felt guilty after that. Before he cut off the robe, he decided I'm not going to kill him. But he did cut the corner off. Then he felt guilty. Should David have felt guilty? A lot of people today would feel good about themselves because all they did was cut the corner on. But David did in fact feel guilty. David said, Saul, I'm not coming after you. God's got to take you out. God has got to take you out. 
as Christians, we've got to be patient for God to do what God does. If not, we can become wicked and not even realize it because everyone around us is doing the exact same thing. I'm reading a book right now, True Story, written by a Mormon girl. She was raised in a Mormon family. Um, She grew up, went to Brigham Young University, which is the big Mormon school. When she got there, she was shocked at how many Mormon girls didn't act Mormon. She, that's a big part of the book is she's so uncomfortable because there's so many Mormon girls at this college just not acting the way she was raised. We have to decide, I'm going to do what's right even if I've got to wait forever for God to do it. 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. This verse right here is probably the biggest argument against my position on the prodigal son. A lot of people look at this verse and say, if I don't help the poor, I'm going to become poor. And I'm going to stay poor. And I don't want to become poor, and I don't want to stay poor, so I'm going to help the poor. If that's what this verse means, then all the other passages contradict. That is not what this verse means. What about the prodigal? What if there was a good, well-meaning Christian living right next door to the prodigal son who said, you know what, that poor kid, he shouldn't be up there feeding them swine. He needs to be taken care of. I'm going to take care of him. At what point would the prodigal son have gone home? He never would have gone home. He never would have gone home. The hunger is the cure for laziness. Always remember that. Hunger is a cure. It's not a symptom. It's a cure. We must listen to find out why they are poor. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. This is talking about total ignoring them. I don't want to hear what you have to say. That is wrong. But to just blame, uh, uh, blindly throw stuff at them, that is more wrong, in my opinion. We must listen, unstop our ears. We must listen to find out why they are poor. Why they are poor. What has caused this problem? If all we do is throw $5 at them. And by the way, Proverbs 21.13 implies that throwing $5 at them is the exact thing we should do. That's what it implies. If all we do is throw $5 at them and then drive away, we are stopping our ears. We're saying, I don't want to hear what got you here. I don't want to be around you. Here's $5 so I can feel better about myself. You go and be poor. We are stopping our ears. This is hard stuff. But I'm telling you, if we're not going to help them scripturally, throwing $5 at them makes it worse. It absolutely makes it worse. 
14. A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. Well, I saw in Proverbs 17, 8, a gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it, whithersoever it turneth, it prospereth. Proverbs 18, 16, a man's gift maketh room for him, and he bringeth him before great men. Proverbs 19, 6, many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend of him that giveth gifts. All four of these verses have one thing in common. These are not bribes. Proverbs does warn against bribes, but it's not always a bribe to give someone something. What is my goal? What is my intention? Am I trying to get this person to do something wrong? Or am I trying to encourage this person to do something right? That's the difference between a bribe and a gift. What am I trying to get out of this? Am I trying to get him to do something wrong or trying to get him to become something right? God hates injustice. These are gifts of kindness. These are gifts, all four of them, gifts of kindness, like taking them to dinner. We talked about this um, several weeks ago. Take them to dinner. Why in the world would I take somebody to dinner just out of the blue? What a tremendous opportunity to ask them about the Lord. They're not going anywhere because they've got to stay until their food's eaten. <laughs> They're going to listen to you because they owe you the money. Tremendous opportunity by giving a gift. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, something that's obviously uh, money or something like that. Just say, hey, listen, how'd you like to go to lunch? Very few people is going to turn that down. Very few. It facilitates conversation that we should use to point them to Jesus. That's what the gift is for. Now, if the gift is to get them to do something wrong, that's a bribe. That's totally different. But if we give a gift like offering lunch so that it can give us an opportunity to talk to them, it's absolutely good. Why say it a fourth time, though? To me, that's the bigger question. We've already discussed this several times. Why say it a fourth time? I hope right now your eyes jumped up to verse 13. I hope that when I ask the question, why say it again, you automatically go to the previous verse. Because I believe in my heart that's why it's said a fourth time. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor. He's saying, I'm not giving him a gift. You say, wait a second, don't give him $5. I agree, don't give him $5. Give him some time. Take him to lunch. Facilitate some conversation. You say, whoa, 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 wait a second. I don't want him in my car. <laughs> then don't give him the $5. Giving him the $5 pays him to stay there. I'm telling you where we live at uh, uh, 192 and Highway 27, there's always at least five panhandlers. And one intersection has at least two all the time, and I have seen it with four. Once it went, because the intersections are so big, okay, people just want, just get away from me, here's five dollars. Get away from me, here's five dollars. Are they helping them get better or are they helping them stay there? Let's be real. We're stopping our, our ears. I don't want to hear what got you here. If we really want to help them, take them to lunch. Take them to lunch. 
and then talk to them. Find out exactly what it is that got them here. Offer them some real help. Say, hey, listen, you're in a bad situation. What if I take you to a homeless shelter? Okay, if they turn that down, you definitely don't want to give them money because they're they're asking for money for the wrong thing. Offer them some real. Don't stop our ears at the cry of the poor by giving them five dollars. I know it's it sounds just the opposite of what we've all we've always believed, but what we have always believed is to pacify our own guilt. That's why we do it. Okay. It goes back to the prodigal, and when would he have gone home? Verse 15. It is a joy to the just to do judgment. It is a joy to the just to do judgment. Jesus said, judge not, did he not? Did Jesus not say, judge not that you be not judged? But it's a joy to the just to do judgment. Now, if there was ever a contradiction, that's it. Always replace judgment with justice, especially here. It is a joy to the just to do justice. If we do the opposite of this proverb and enjoy judging, it is a joy to the just to judge. If we do the opposite and enjoy judging, we stop being just. Correct. We stop being just. We don't have enough information to give justice to another person. Never do we have enough information to give justice to another person. <clears throat> but the destruction, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Don't answer out loud. What constitutes iniquity? What is iniquity? If you don't know, how do you know if you're doing it or not? The word itself doesn't look pretty. It looks like a looks like um, uh, wicked, like bad. It's bad. Okay, whatever it is, I don't do anything bad. I do some stuff that's maybe not perfect, but I, I don't do anything bad. Can a saved person do this? Iniquity simply means trouble. That's all it means. Look it up. Destruction shall be to the workers of trouble. And I submit to you in churches this morning, there are people causing trouble in church. destruction will come to them. But doesn't that mean hell? No, it doesn't. We've got to remember that the Sadducees in Jesus' time thought there was no afterlife. Most of the writers in the Old Testament was not sure if there was an afterlife. The Pharisees was convinced there was an afterlife because they loved arguing with the Sadducees. But the Old Testament gives us very, very little information about what happens after death. Almost everything we know about heaven and hell comes from Jesus himself. Almost all of it comes from Jesus himself. So destruction in Solomon's mind is not hell at all. Destruction is in this life. Now what destruction comes to a troublemaker? 
Give it time. They build their own trouble. Always. They, 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 they live in it. A saved person can absolutely do it. And sometimes I think saved per- people do it more than the unsaved people do. 16. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. This does not sound pleasant. Who wants to remain in the congregation of the dead? There are some Pentecostals that will say this is a Baptist church. The congregation of the dead is the Baptist because we don't have any kind of spirit. On the way here, there's a Pentecostal church. That says they, on the side, it says a church alive is worth the drive. Okay, Implying that if your church is dead and boring, go to a church that's not dead and boring. All right, I wonder what Jesus' church was like. What was it like going to church with Jesus? That's what real life is. The congregation of the dead is just the opposite. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding. Where is understanding? Solomon's been giving it to us for 21 chapters. Prior to that, God through Moses... And Samuel and David has been giving us the way of understanding since we began the Bible. Pray for DJ. Where did that come from? Pray for DJ. DJ is about to go to a place that is dark. Straight up, it's dark. My question for you is this. Where... Do we put a light bulb? We put a light bulb in a dark place. The only reason the lights are on in here is because the windows are relatively closed. If these walls were glass, there would be no lights in here. There'd be no need for them. We put a light in a dark place. DJ believes, and I think he's right, DJ believes that this is happening so that he can be a witness for the Lord inside. I submit to you that's exactly why it's happening. And it may be more than just one. But the Apostle Paul was put in prison as well, was he not? Okay, There were some things done because he was in jail. Pray for DJ that as he gets in the congregation of the dead, and these are going to be the bad people, as he gets to the congregation of the dead, he doesn't wander out of the way of understanding. Okay? I want to encourage us as much as we can to visit him, to encourage him to stay in the way of understanding. I don't know how that's going to work, but Bonnie, work it out so that I can get there. Okay? I'll leave Dad in the car if he don't want to go, but I definitely want to go see, see DJ. DJ has an opportunity just as much as the Apostle Paul did. But he cannot wander out of the way of understanding. DJ's going to have to take everything he's been taught his whole life and put it to use over the next year. You say, a year's not that long compared to five. A year can be a very long time unless, unless you know you're doing something for the Lord. 
you, if you know you're on task, it makes the difficulty worth it. You recognize God is doing something in this. You keep that mindset and it'll go faster than you think. But you cannot wander out of the way of understanding. But let's assume the worst. Sometimes the darkness overtakes the light. Okay? Now, to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, take a flashlight and shine it across in the middle of the night, take a flashlight in the middle of the night and shine it across a cow pasture. Okay, the darkness will overtake the light. The light will be good for a little bit, but not very much. Where DJ's going, he can be a bright light if he stays in the way of understanding, or the darkness can overtake him. Let's suppose for the worst that DJ gets in there and meets a friend. And this friend is the nicest guy you've ever met, but does not care for religion. Let's say that friend went to church and somebody was mean to him. So he wants nothing to do with religion. But he's a super nice guy. DJ, also a super nice guy, thinks this is the guy God wants me to help. He's already nice. He just needs to understand how church works. So DJ begins to develop a relationship with this guy who wants nothing to do with church, but he's super, super nice. This seems like an obvious thing. This is why God has me here. But then the guy convinces DJ there's a reason not to go to church. The guy causes DJ to wander out of the way of understanding. Does this say when we wander out of the way of understanding, we will remain. In other words, we can't leave the congregation of the dead. Is that what that says? It cannot say that. It cannot say that if we wander away, we are never ever going to be able to come back because that's totally contradictory to the rest of Scripture. The man shall remain in the congregation of the dead. This doesn't say he can't come back. It says that while he is out of the way, He's wandered out of the way of understanding. While he's out of the way, he will only be around a bunch of spiritually dead people. That's what it says. While he's out of the way, he will only be around a bunch of spiritually dead people. I heard the pastor of First Baptist Church Orlando this morning uh, talking about um, if... Uh, you got sin in the church, you put them out. And he agreed. I was shocked. This church is a 6,000 member church. You're going to put out somebody that's, that's caught up doing wrong? Put them out. And he said this. He said, when we put them out for the destruction of the flesh, it puts them in this situation to where they're only around dead people. What happens to a Christian that's surrounded by non-Christians? They get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and then finally God snaps them back. The destruction of the flesh is not necessarily going to hell. In fact, I submit to you it's not going to hell. Right. It's allowing the life that they've chosen 
to overwhelm them to the point they're only around a bunch of spiritually dead people and God can and often does use that to bring them back. Like the prodigal son, the fun will end. This is why we've got to pray for DJ. It's so easy to think, oh, it's a year, it's nothing. DJ's going to be surrounded by the congregation of the dead. It's going to be tempting to become like them because we want to be accepted by those who are around. By the way, that's why I don't like the whole prison system. I think the prison system teaches bad people to become worse people. What is it I think the Bible teaches? And I think the Muslims got it right on this. All right, instant punishment. Chop the hand off, then chop the arm off, then chop the heart out. It's a much better way to punish people for crime and then not have them learn from other people. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16. To deliver thee, this is what wisdom is for, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. DJ ain't got to worry about this for the next year. No problem. Which forsaketh the guide of her youth. You will be around people like this. There'll be guys, but they, there will be people. I promise you there's going to be people in there that when they find out you're a Christian, they're going to tell you why it's not a good thing. Forgetting the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death and her paths unto the dead. Exactly the same scenario. Exactly the same scenario. But he can come there are no hopeless proverbs. This is something it took me a long time to figure out because there are some proverbs that seem like there's no way out of that. He's saying if you're in that situation, you might as well give up because there's, there are no hopeless proverbs. They're all proverbs. Every single one of them is designed to motivate us to action, to change the situation, make the situation better. He can come back if he chooses to come back. 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. These things are expensive. Wine and oil are expensive. In our day, you can get alcohol fairly inexpensively. In the days of Jesus, it wasn't that inexpensive. Pleasure in the days of Jesus, that was actually rare. Remember, there's no air conditioning, there's no electricity. Um, whatever it is that we enjoy today, they didn't have any of it. But it could be attained by the very wealthy. For instance, the air conditioning goes out in this room today. It's going to feel okay in here for 30 minutes in an hour while dad is preaching it's going to be uncomfortable wouldn't it be nice if the air is out dad's preaching and you're uncomfortable to have Wade just fanning you wouldn't it be nice if you just have Wade fanning you rich people could get somebody to fan them all the time all the time he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich these things 
are expensive. We often hear of rich people going broke because they don't know how to control how much they spend. People are not as rich as we think they are. I don't know anything about Arcadia. I don't know who the rich people here, if there are rich, it doesn't matter, I don't care. Okay, I know about Orlando. Let me tell you something. There are thousands and thousands, if not millions, of people who live in 5,000 plus square feet homes. In fact, that's considered small in Orlando right now. Everything they're building, I mean everything they're building, is almost a million dollars. That's the base price up there. Okay, it is. It looks like the wealthy are just taking over. But almost all those people are mortgaged up to their eyeballs. And the slightest change in the economy, they lose everything. I've seen it happen over and over and over. I wish that God had laid it on my heart to count how many rich people I turn off for non-pay. Because mm -hmm. I promise you, if you wouldn't believe the number. It's expensive playing in life. But folks, there's nothing wrong with some fun. There is nothing wrong with some fun. The girl that I'm reading about in the Mormon book, she was raised by a father that's basically, if it's fun, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And he had her so focused on the end of the world and how that anybody that's not a good Mormon is going to be destroyed by Jesus. That she was afraid to have any kind of fun. When she did enjoy some things, he made her feel guilty because he's scared that she's going to go off the deep end. There's nothing wrong with some fun in life. But when we spend more on it in money or time than God has provided... When we spend more on it in money or time, not just money, money or time, when we spend more on that than God has provided, we will come up short. And it's so easy to do. It is so, so, so easy to think I can make this payment. Why do I harp on this? I did it. I had to bankrupt because I had people suing me. I could not pay. This is something that... that it terrifies me when I see people doing. So how much should we spend on relaxation if there's nothing wrong with some? How much should we spend? If I made you write down an answer to this question, I would have a different answer from every single one of us. How much should we spend on relaxation? Do you know there's actually an answer to this question? Believe it or not, according to financial experts, and I got this from, uh, oh shoot, um, the big guy right now. Um, he's actually on regular TV right now. I can't remember what it is, but I got it off of him. He's 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 Christian dude, Christian dude. According to financial experts, the same amount as our tithe. That's what we're supposed to spend our relaxation. They say that if you spend less than that, then you are risking being drawn into problems later. They say if you spend more than that, you are definitely jumping into problems. Mm -hmm. But the same amount as our tithe. Notice I did not say 10%. There's a difference between our tithe and 10%. 
in most churches. If you're not properly taught the tithe is 10%, you will believe that putting anything in is the tithe. I put a dollar and I paid my tithe because you don't know the definition of the word. 10% is what financial experts say we should spend on it. I would absolutely encourage all of us to add up how much I spend on entertainment. What would this include? This would include anything that costs money that doesn't produce anything. For instance, okay, when you eat food, it produces health for you. When you eat McDonald's, it doesn't produce health. That's entertainment. Okay? Um, a cell phone produces entertainment. Produces entertainment. Say, why need it for work? If you need it for work, your boss will provide it. You just think you need it for work. Cable TV. Absolutely 100% entertainment, but how much do we spend on it? If it's more than 10%, all these things combined, we're in jeopardy. So what should we do? I need my phone. I need my internet. I need my cable TV. I need my McDonald's. These are things that help me to relax. God doesn't want us going to other things to have our needs answered. That's idolatry. Is it possible God is saying, hey, I want you to just not have nothing to do for a whole evening because it's, there's nothing there. And I'd like for you to open your Bible. And I'd like for you to go to the book of Psalms. And find a psalm that expresses what you feel. By the way, this is wonderful advice for anybody, particularly with people who are in struggles that have lasted a long, long time. I gave this advice to Marge. Pray for Marge. She's, she's really struggling with discouragement because it hurts to move. Mm -hmm. She hasn't driven in weeks. I said, Marge, here's what I would recommend that you do. Get in the book of Psalms and look for one of them that expresses how you feel. I said, it's not going to happen fast because there's 150 of them. But I promise you, there's a psalm in there that will express what you feel. And I promise you, God will use that psalm to help you. Now, I have not discussed with her how that turned out. And I want the Spirit to motivate her, and I want her to give me an answer on her own. <clears throat> but the only way we're going to get anything out of God's Word is to turn everything else off. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the transgressor for the upright. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the transgressor for the upright. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. Does anyone see the obvious problem in this verse? There is a big, 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 big problem in this verse. Mark 10, 15, Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. Does that mean that he's wicked? 
I love finding this stuff because there is an answer. There has to be an answer. I love finding the answer. Isaiah 43 gives us the answer. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. There is a difference between the ransom that Jesus was and the ransom that's in Proverbs 21.18. There's a difference between what Jesus does in, in Isaiah 43. For since thou was precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore, I will give men for thee and people for thy life. This is not Jesus. These are Gentiles, unsaved people. How? How does God use unsaved people to be a ransom for us? That's the real question so we can understand the verse and then get some comfort out of it. There are no hopeless proverbs. They're all, all designed to be encouraging to make us to motivate us. How does God give unsaved people as a ransom for us? Obviously not the way Jesus did. Jesus pays the way to heaven. A ransom is a price paid. That's what the word means. A ransom is a price paid. Jesus paid a price on the cross. The price that he paid delivers people from hell into heaven because he paid it. This is why he could not have paid the price for everybody. If Jesus had paid the price for everybody, everyone would have to go to heaven because God is a God of justice. Jesus did not pay the price for everyone. Jesus paid the price for a chosen few. And he said, you're going to be with me, but I'm not paying for the rest. Sounds awfully mean, doesn't it? God doesn't have to be fair. He has to be just. And the people that go to hell deserve to go to hell. No one deserves to go to heaven. Jesus is the ransom for heaven. He uses the non-elect to provide for us or be the price paid for us. Your employer, saved or not, God uses them to provide for you. Anything that assists you that comes from a non-believer is from God. I'm very conscious of the highways because I've been to Jamaica and I know what it's like to have terrible, terrible, terrible roads and how long it takes to go anywhere. So as we particularly travel uh, on uh, Sundays, it occurs to me someone paid for this road. You say, well, Danny, your taxes paid for that road. I didn't pay that much taxes. I didn't pay that much taxes. God used the taxes of unsaved people to provide for me. And that's exactly what Proverbs 21, 18 is. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the transgressor for the upright. God will use them to provide for us. The next section is long, and so we're going to stop right here. Father, thank you for the Proverbs. Thank you for how they... They, they hit us right where we're at. Every single week, one of them hits right where we're at. Father, I pray that you will strengthen DJ. I thank you that in your wisdom, in your love, in your power, you have allowed this to happen. You could have stopped it completely. 
I thank You that You didn't. I thank You that You gave DJ a sense of purpose. I'm praying that You will strengthen him and keep him focused on that. Thank You for what You're going to do through DJ. And Lord, please keep him strong so that they won't change him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.